0: Alright, now, hey guys, welcome to RUF. Sorry, I'm such a diva with all my stuff. Um, it's, it's really good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Chris, and I'm the campus minister here. Um, this is probably not nearly as bizarre of an experience for me as it is for you, uh, but there will be no anatomy test at the end of this, um, thankfully. Hopefully there's no anatomy test after this. Okay. Just wait for it, it'll come. Um... Welcome to RUF, Uh, a special welcome to you if you're new, if this is your first time or one of your first times, uh, it's very good to see you. Um, Whether you are a religious person and you grew up in the church your whole life and this is very familiar to you, or uh, you're very skeptical of all this, or um, maybe you're just not sure, like you're just somewhere along the spectrum, um, we're very happy to see you. Uh, We would love to get to know you, to welcome you. To get involved in in your life. Um, And we want this to be a place where, regardless of where you're coming from, religiously, spiritually, or whatever, that you can process the Bible and the claims of Jesus at your own pace. So it's kind of a joke to say there's no test. um, But really, there's not going to be a test. Like it's not after three meetings we're going to ask you to sign a card or walk an aisle or anything like that. You're welcome here at your own pace to figure this stuff out, to come in and leave. Um, If you'd like, but we'd really love to get to know you. So if there's anything I can do to help you, um, please say so. Or if there's find someone that looks like they know what's going on and ask them, we'd be happy to help you. Um, Tonight, we're going to be looking in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter four. Genesis, the first book uh, in the scripture. And we've been doing a series this semester um, called Questions God Asks. And we've been looking at times in the scripture where God asks a question this is awesome, by the way. I'm really going to be spoiled in here after this, this night. I feel like I have so much power up here over all of you underlings. Um, uh, but so we've been looking at these questions God asking. and God's asking questions in this passage. And this is a really interesting passage, one of the most famous in the Bible, the story of Cain and Abel. Probably regardless of your background, you have some familiarity with the story. Um, there's a lot of firsts in Genesis 4. It's the first uh, sibling rivalry. If you will, what's well, the first siblings? Um, it's the first uh, worship service that's recorded for us here. It's the first recorded act um, of murder right here uh, in this text. And I'm aware of the fact that Genesis, the book of Genesis, particularly the first few chapters of Genesis, um, don't give us all the answers to questions that we might want. We probably have a lot of curiosities, even about this text, like this is random, are there other people? Is he going to have to marry his sister? Um, you know, like, this is, these, are, these are good questions. You know, what was life like back then? And someone can be fr- frustrated, right, that Genesis doesn't answer all our questions. But what Genesis does do is answer all the questions that we need to have answered. Um, Walker Percy, who's an author, uh, who was an author, uh, he has this quote, and he says, Bad books always lie. They lie most of all about the human condition. Uh, Genesis is not a bad book in that sense. Genesis is a great book, and uh, the rest of the scripture is a great book because it's very honest with us about who we are as human beings. Uh, It's very honest about our condition. It's not very honest about the human condition, about why it is that we're so capable of terrible, awful things, and at the same time so capable of loving and caring um, for one another. And I think that God has something to show us. If we're willing to put ourselves under it, To receive what it has to say, I think God can show us wonderful things here, even in this passage. So let's read Genesis chapter 4. It's on this obnoxiously large screen behind me. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Listen, this is the word of God. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. And Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought uh, of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. Mm, Batteries. Batteries. Anybody have a nine volt? (laughs) That is the right key. Seems good. (laughs) That is how you test the 9-volt battery. Ye unenlightened? (laughs) Nothing? That's all right. I'll just do this. Uh, I tried it, but it didn't. Nothing happened. Thank you, David. Doctor. Dr. Boulder. They call him doctor because his initials are DR. Check. Is it going to work? Gosh, I do not prefer this.
1: Okay, can you still hear me, though?
0: All right. All right. Woo, battery. All right. All right. Um, That's for you, footsie. All right. Uh, All right, so... Verse eleven, and now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, "My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me uh, today away from the, from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me." Then the Lord said to him, "Not so. If anyone kills Cain," Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold, and the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of God. Let's ask his blessing as we look at it together. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you're sovereign over it, and you're sovereign over us, and that you can use your word to change us. So, Lord, we ask that you would do that. We have a lot of distractions, we have a lot of barriers, and we don't even know what they all are, but you do, so Lord, would you overcome them, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, If you've been watching Walking Dead, which I hope you have, because it's a wonderful show, thank you, Um, this season, uh, there has been a new uh, theme developing that you might be uh, familiar with. Um, In the zombie apocalypse, which could be coming, so be ready. Uh, You know, there's things you have to do to survive that you would never do in the sort of regular world. They're unthinkable acts of just pure survival. And um, there's many of the the characters on the show, they're struggling with these things, these things in their past. And they're kind of asking this question, am I this animal that I've acted like to survive? Is that who I am or am I the person that I was before everything went to pot? Um, And do I even really want to know the answer to that question? Uh, And there's this extremely poignant moment in the first episode of the new season where there's this woman, and she has um, taken her life. She's stabbed herself, and uh, as she's dying, she looks to Rick, the sheriff, you know, and she says, You can't. You can't come back from the things you've done. Uh, and that sort of set the the, the tone for the, the entire season so far. God is pretty clear in his word and in this passage that there 's a problem with human beings, and it 's called sin, and that this 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 idea of sin that sin has seeped into the very fiber of our existence, and in a lot of ways it defines us um, as 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 human beings so sometimes when I sit down, you know I sit down with you guys and we talk about stuff, and most of the time we kind of talk about you guys. But sometimes we talk about the Bible and theology, right? And um, there's a lot of, like, sort of concepts that are hard to get or hard to accept. But generally, there's very little pushback on this idea that there is such a thing as sin. That human beings are depraved. That is, that we, that we sin, that we have a sin nature. Because it's so demonstrably obvious from looking out at the news, right? There's not a lot of happy, peppy stories on the news, Uh, It's clear that every day human beings are hurting each other and they're being hurt, that we're capable of terrible, terrible things. And if we look at ourselves, I think, and we're willing to be critical um, with ourselves, we see those terrible things that people do to each other reflected in very small seed form in our own hearts. Uh, a pastor named Tim Keller, who I respect and who I'm stealing this, a lot of this material from, which it's not stealing, if you say that you did it, um, just so you know. Um, but he helped me understand a lot about how this, what this text says about our depravity, about our sin. And he makes the point of this. Every moment of anger in our lives is just a tiny ball of murder. It would like nothing more than to be a murder. But it doesn't always have the opportunity. And that every moment of lust in our heart is just a tiny seed. And it would love nothing more than to grow up and to be in adultery. But it doesn't always have the opportunity. It's the same thing that the book of James says. James says this in James 1. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, uh, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when fully grown, brings forth death. A good friend of mine always says, you're only one set of circumstances from doing the unthinkable. Um, And so the issue for us tonight, as we look at this passage, is when we think about those seed, those little seedlings in our heart, and we think about the possibility of them growing up and bearing really bad fruit, um, can we come back from that? Uh, Is there a way out of that? Um, There's one thing that y'all will realize. I I have like 10 years on some of you, and that's it. But even in this time, what you realize is that the people that are out there on the news doing things, as you get older, those are the people that you know. You know, you probably don't know anyone yet that's your age that's like committed adultery. But you will. So as we grow up, and as these seeds begin to take root and begin to, to grow fruit... What are we going to do? Can we come back from it? So tonight I just want to look together at this passage uh, and just look at what sin is really like and whether or not there is hope for us. And I want to look first at the deception of sin, then at the destruction of sin, and finally the way out. So the deception of sin, the destruction of sin, and the way out. One of the worst things about sin, which is clear in this passage, is that it hides. It's deceptive. You don't know that it's there. Um, And we can see that in in what's happened to Cain. So Adam and Eve, you know, our first parents, they've had these two children. Uh, First they have Cain, and he is a farmer. And then they have Abel, and he takes care of sheep. He raises sheep for a living. And they both come to this worship service, and they bring an offering before the Lord. And Cain brings produce, and Abel brings from the sheep. And God accepts Abel's, but he doesn't accept Cain's. And it's interesting, like, why does God accept one and not the other? It seems fairly arbitrary, right? Um, Some have said that the reason why God accepts uh, Abel's and not Cain's is because Abel brought a blood offering, right? So we think about the Old Testament. If you have any sort of background with the Old Testament, there's these, it's all about blood, right? There's dripping blood. And um, it's about killing lambs and stuff like that. That's an appropriate point to take a drink of water. (laughs) So people have said that you know maybe the reason is because there's because Abel Abel's has blood and Cain's doesn't. But I'm not really buying that for a couple of reasons. Uh, there aren't just kinds of offerings that are blood killing an animal in in the Bible in the Old Testament. There's all kinds of offerings. There's even grain offerings. And the wording that's used here in the Hebrew uh, sound, is really kind of would indicate that this is talking about a grain offering, a dedication. So like imagine if you're at church and you give a tithe. What you're saying with that tithe is I give you this percentage, but what I'm really saying is that it all belongs to you, God, not the church. It all belongs to you. And uh, it all came from you, and I can all give it back to you. But more than that, um, it's interesting what uh, God says to Cain and Abel in verses uh, 4 and 5. He says, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had... No regard. It's not that the offering itself was inadequate, though it may have been. The problem wasn't with the offering. It was with the worshiper. God accepts Abel in his offering, but he doesn't accept Cain in his offering. There is something inside of Cain, on his inside, that is wrong, that is faulty. His heart, his motivation, the reason why he comes and brings this offering, there's something wrong with it. And it's obvious, right, because how he responds. I don't want to step too far back. The way he responds when God doesn't accept his offering isn't to go, okay, what have I done? Where can I seek repentance? What do I need to change? God, help me understand. No, he gets angry. He gets bitter. And it says his face fell. Uh, He's fallen into self-pity, you know, like his head droops down, drops down. He's feeling sorry for himself, and he's angry. Um, There was something inside Cain that was sick. And Keller makes a great point, and I think he hits it on the head, and he says, the problem is that Cain wasn't worshiping God, he was attempting to bribe God. Um, You know, if he does this certain religious practice, this certain way, then God will necessarily accept him and bless him. It it reminds me of like a, a, a special interest group, right? And they spend a lot of money to get a candidate elected, right? Because they have this thing, they, they want this thing to be on the agenda, and so they spend all this money, and then the guy gets elected, and then the guy doesn't give them any favors, right? How are they feeling? They're feeling very frustrated, angry. They put all this money into this, and they're not getting the thing back that they wanted to. And Keller makes this point, like, ladies, so imagine your boyfriend, if you have one, he, um, he comes in and gives you an engagement ring, right? This is a big, big moment. Um, but you know that he's actually been involved with several other girls in the past week. What's your, what's your thought on receiving that engagement ring? Like, oh, thank you. That's perfect. Thank you. I love it. I can't wait to be married forever. <laughs> no, of course. Because it's not love, right? That ring isn't love. That ring is a bribe. It's an attempt to get you to do something for him, even though he doesn't care for you, he doesn't love you. And that is what Cain is doing. He's trying to manipulate God by observing a religious ritual. And here's the point. Sin doesn't care if you're religious or not. It does not care. It doesn't care if you're super religious or super irreligious or you're like, I don't know. It doesn't care. It can hide anywhere. And actually, a lot of the time, it prefers to hide in religious-looking practice. Um, I bet if you're a Christian, and I don't assume that everyone in here is a Christian. Statistically, obviously, it's not the case. Um, And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm so thankful that you're here and thankful that you're even taking the time to hear this. Um, I appreciate your time. But if you are a Christian, let's say, and you go to church and it's confession of sin time at church, what are the things that usually come to mind when you're like, oh crap, I have to think about sin because I haven't thought about this in like four or five days and i got to come up with some stuff it's usually the stuff, I would bet, if you're like me, that's like the, the stuff that's very irreligious and makes you feel yucky. Like, oh, you know, I, I spoke to this person this way, or I looked at this thing on my computer, and I, I, I know I shouldn't have. And I, I keep meaning to this not to. I keep meaning to get a filter. And I looked at it again um, and again. Or that you misuse alcohol. You know, I was off with my friends, and they aren't Christians, and I actually look like I wasn't a Christian, and I feel sick. And these are things that you want to change. There are things about you that you don't like. And so you come and you confess them. And those things are surely worthy of confession, because they indeed are sin. Um, But have you ever considered that maybe the darker and the more insidious and the more firmly rooted sins in your heart aren't the things that make you feel yucky and that you want to change? But they're the most religious things that make you feel great about yourself. Um, sin loves to hide in those places. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, who, is an, who is an English writer, he wrote The Chronic What Pulls of Narnia. Um, <laughs> the title makes no sense. Um, he wrote, a, he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and it's, a, it's, it's basically a series, a fictional series of letters from this demon named Screwtape, who's like this upper-level demon, to his nephew, Wormwood, who's like a lower-level demon. And they're all talking about his, uh, Wormwood's patient, who's this guy that he's tempting, and how to tempt him. And when he says the enemy, he's talking about God, of course. Um, so he says this in the second chapter. He says, my dear Wormwood, I note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. There is no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been proclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us, so that they're no longer Christians. And he says, one of our great allies at present is the church itself. And then he goes on to talk about how you're patient, he goes to church, and he has these lofty ideas of this spiritual body of Christ. And he gets there and like this guy's shoes squeak, and like the songs are terrible, and the print is really bad, and everyone has bad breath. Um, and he's saying this is, this is working in our favor because the church isn't very, um, isn't very uh, pleasing. And he ends with this. He has not been anything like long enough with the enemy to have any real humility yet. What he says, even on his knees, about his own sinfulness is all parrot talk. At bottom, he still believes he has run up a very favorable credit balance in the enemy's ledger by allowing himself to be converted and thinks that he is showing great humility and condescension in going to church with these smug, commonplace neighbors at all. Keep him in that state of mind as long as you can. Uh, Lewis shows us something very interesting, that sin often lurks and hides in the places that are the most religious, the things that we like the most about ourselves. Sin is no respecter of religion or irreligion or your best intentions. Uh, notice how God warns Cain. Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. Sin is like a wild carnivorous beast, and it wants you. It wants to. De- desires for you. It wants to eat you. But it's crouching outside the door. You don't know it's there. It's in the shadow. It's waiting for its opportunity. And you will have no idea that it was there, and that's when it will pounce. Um, Sarah Jane, my wife, who's here. Uh, her grandmother recently sent our daughters, uh, our daughters, um, our daughters, some new books because two hundred and fifty individual volumes for two children that are like three years away from reading is not nearly enough. We need more. Um, we need more. And one of them was like this: this sort of rendition of Little Red Riding Hood, and um, which is scary. Like, it freaked me out. I was reading with my kid, and she was like, you know. It's like at the end, it's like cutting open the wolf. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. But she watches Walking Dead with us and loves it. Um, But one of the really terrifying aspects, she doesn't, by the way. She doesn't do that. She's long asleep by that point. Um, But one of the really terrifying things about the story, right, is that Little Red Riding Hood suspects that something is wrong, like, hmm, grandmother, what big teeth and ears you have, you know. But she doesn't know that it's a wolf. She doesn't even really know that it's not her grandmother, right? There's a wolf waiting to gobble her up, and she does not know. Because the wolf doesn't mind wearing grandmother's clothes. The wolf doesn't mind sneaking in there and gobbling up grandma on one bite. It's fine with hiding. And that thing that makes us feel the most nostalgic that makes us feel the most comfortable, that makes us feel the most safe, just like grandma's house. Sin loves to hide. Uh, So not only is sin deceptive, but it's also destructive. All it cares about is gobbling up this little girl, right? The wolf. All he wants to do is eat the little girl, which is exactly what God says about sin. It says its desire is for you. Uh, 1 Peter 5 actually says the same thing about the devil. It says, to be on your guard because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It's prowling. It wants to eat you. Just like grandma. One fell swoop. One big gulp. It wants to destroy. It doesn't want to like just sort of. Live nicely along with the good parts of you, one one on this shoulder and one on this shoulder. It wants to destroy you. It wants to destroy our fellowship of God. It wants to destroy our relationship with other people. It wants to destroy our work. It wants to destroy our self-worth. And it wants to keep on destroying everything for as long as we live and even after. So for Cain... Sin was crouching at the door, right? And it had an opportunity. He was with his brother, he was bitter, he was angry, he was hating himself, he was obsessed with why this thing had happened to him and why he wasn't accepted, so he killed his brother. Remember that anger is that little ball, right, of murder. And when he got the opportunity, it took it. His heart, his the sickness in his heart had grown up. And when God asked him, Where is Abel your brother? he isn't playing dumb. It's, it's interesting, you know, it's like God asking these questions, and we kind of skip over the fact that God's asking questions. But, like, he's not playing dumb, like, oh, where's your brother? You know, like, he doesn't know. He's doing the same thing that he did with Adam and Eve. Remember when God asked them, where are you? It wasn't that he didn't know. It's that he was giving them an opportunity to come out. He was giving them an opportunity to repent. And he's giving Cain an opportunity to confess, where is your brother? And what does Cain say? Uh, I don't know. I'm not my brother's babysitter. That's exactly what he says in the text. How am I supposed to know where my brother is? He's cold. He's surly. He's bitter towards God. He's hardened himself. Um, so sin has destroyed his relationship with his brother, obviously, clearly. Um, it's destroyed his relationship with God. He's angry. He's bitter. He's hard towards God. Um, it's going to destroy his relationship with his parents, clearly, right? Um, and he, he sees that it's going to have a devastating effect on his ability just to live in the world. Because he says this, and look, look in verse 13 and following. He says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away from, from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. So he's separated from God. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Uh, to continue the Walking Dead references, um, if you saw the last episode, so this is only for people that have seen the last episode, no spoilers, I promise. Um, Carol, right? The only spoiler is that Carol is still alive by the fourth episode of the season four. Um, what's going to happen when people find out what Carol has done, right? Right? It's going to create tension. It's going to drive people apart and might ultimately get Carol killed. And we, I think we kid ourselves um, when we think that our sin only has an effect on us. Like, you know what? It's not hurting anybody else. It's just my thing. Just let me do my thing. I'm not hurting anybody. But let like, I me mean, ask the parent, if you know someone that's an addict, ask their parent whether it's only hurting their child. And you begin to get a window into the fact that our sin hurts other people. It destroys other relationships. Um, Ask someone that's been hurt, whose child has been hurt, whether it just hurt the child. Of course not. Our sin seeps out. We were created to live in unity with each other. And when we sin, we throw it all off balance. And the point here is that it doesn't just go away. Look what God says about Abel's blood. He says, it's calling out to me from the ground. That's kind of weird, poetic language, right? God's saying, Abel's blood in the ground is calling out to me and reminding me of your murder. It's like the Telltale Heart, right? A ground post story. It's so brilliant, right? Because this man, he murders this guy and he buries him under the floorboards, right? But what keeps happening? keeps hearing the sound, the man's heartbeat, and it's louder, and it's louder, and it's louder. And it's a constant reminder to him that he is guilty, that he has done something that he can't undo. And it drives him insane until finally he rips up the floorboards. Wow. Cain's guilt and our sin, the guilt of it continues to echo and echo and echo. Maybe something's happened to you with a friend, right? Your friend has hurt you, you've hurt them. And you can either choose to alienate yourself from the person, which is popular, or just continue being friends but never dealing with it, right? And so sometimes you're like, man, we had a great time. Like, we just rode go-karts, and it was awesome, and it was like the old days, right? And then at the end of it, when you get back in the car, you remember that thing? And it is the worst feeling in your stomach. It's still There. Uh, our deeds continue to follow us unless they're dealt with, even generationally. And I don't even need to go off on this because I know that so many of us in this room know that just because a person is gone out of my life or they've died or whatever, the effects of their mistakes continue to live on in our lives. It's just a reality. I'm not surprised when every time I hear that like alcoholism and addiction has a genetic element to it. Of course it does. Of course it does. Um, The effects of our sin continue to linger, um, and our sin calls out to us, you cannot come back from this. Um, So the news is pretty bad, according to this text. Um, But is there a way out? Is there a way to fix it? As Rick Grimes is asking, can we come back from this? And the answer is yes, but we can't fix it ourselves. We need another. So let's look at the way out together. Uh, Look at the effects and the punishment of Cain's sin in the passage there. God's face is going to be hidden from him. He's going to be a wanderer on the earth and a fugitive. His chief concern is that someone's going to kill him, right, in retribution for what he's done. But it's amazing. God, in his mercy, Cain is guilty. Like, it's clear that he's guilty, Yet God protects him. He's worried that someone's going to kill him, and he puts a mark on him. I don't know if it's a real mark. I don't know if it's the name Cain. I don't know what it is. But he protects Cain to the end of his life from being killed by someone else in retribution. It's amazing the mercy of God towards this person that is guilty. Um, So God protected a guilty Cain from death, but there was one that God did not protect from death. There's one that was innocent yet was not protected from death. One who wandered the earth with no place to lay his head, right? One that was not welcome in his own town. One who was deserted by his friends when he needed them the most. One who, though he had always been in perfect harmony with God, suffered the face of God being turned away from him. And this man, the Lord Jesus, uh, he was not protected from death. He was not spared from death. That moment when he cried. Remember Cain cries out to God and God protects him. Do you remember that Jesus cried out? In the Garden of Gethsemane, the the night that he was betrayed. Remember he cried out. He was so overcome with, with grief that he cried and he sweat great drops of blood. And what did he ask God to do? Please, if there is any way, would you take this cup from me? If there's any other way to have my people, would you do it and take this cup from me? And what did God say? God didn't say anything. God was silent. He didn't respond to Jesus. He didn't answer. He didn't protect him. Jesus's blood from the cross was shed on the ground, and the ground opened its mouth to receive it. And interestingly, like Abel's blood, Jesus' blood continues to speak as well. Abel's blood cried out from the ground that Cain was guilty. That there was a price to be paid. That his blood was owed. It constantly reminded both Cain and God that Cain can't come back from this. It must be dealt with. But listen to what Hebrews 12 says about the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, We have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cries out guilty. But Jesus' blood cries out to us clean, innocent, mine, forgiven. They belong to me. They are no longer guilty. We cannot fix our sin problem. There's no way back from us. We've destroyed it. But if you are sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, we can't be condemned. If you have Christ tonight, anything that you've done cannot condemn you. It covers it. By trusting in another's life, namely Jesus, and another's death. Jesus lived perfectly on our behalf, and he died perfectly on our behalf. And by trusting in that, we can come back. We can hope to be rescued. In a second, we're going to sing a song. By Horatius Bonner, and it's called Upon a Life. Um, And it goes like this Upon a life I have not lived, upon a death I did not die, another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. Not on the tears which I have shed, not on the sorrows I have known, another's tears, another's griefs, on these I rest. On these alone. Whether you are a Christian or you're not. The blood of Jesus stands for us. To bring us back. Run to him. Find acceptance in him. Let's pray. Jesus we thank you that your blood does speak a better word. Lord, that not only are our own efforts to serve you and to make up for our sin and to come back um, worthless, but Lord, even our own sorrow over it could never save us. But we trust in Jesus' life. We trust in Jesus' death. We trust in Jesus' sorrows and his grief. And Lord, we don't always, there are so many days, Lord, we just do not love you. But we thank you that you have loved us and you have shown your love for us, Lord Jesus. In going to the cross, would you impact our hearts tonight? We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, as we sing this last song, especially the third verse, it's going to highlight that a lot of times we don't even really want to do this, uh, but we trust in Jesus anyway. Let's sing. It.